everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Word About Wealth, a podcast where we tackle the often complicated world of money and finance. My name is Kevin. And this is Van. What we do here on this podcast is take a common sense approach to all things money. We're going to define concepts, give some examples, and have a casual conversation about money and finance. It is important to note here that we are not financial advisors, nor do we pretend to be. What we share on this podcast should be taken as general education and financial entertainment and must not be misconstrued as official financial advice. Yes, sir, Van. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah. <laughs> How about Good. yourself, my, yeah. my friend? Sorry, got a little tongue tied there. Uh, we're hanging in there, hanging in there. So, you know, same old, same old, but uh, it's good to be back. Good to do another episode with you. So we're trying to get these in. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, anything new on your side? Not too much. Uh, work is work. Rearranging the house a little bit, but uh, pretty much everything is uh, status quo. How about yourself? How's your business coming along? Self-reliant. <laughs> so with my business, I actually have spoken to a couple of people so far and it seems... It seems very positive, actually, and I've been very much enjoying to do that. So, again, uh, for those that don't know, um, I have a financial coach business that has recently started. And in this line of work, I talk to anybody who has really questions or concerns about their financial situation in general. It could be somebody who's in debt or somebody who has uh, making you know good income but don't really know what to do with their money or how they should save it for a house or their wedding or things like that. I do offer a 30-minute free consultation for those who are looking for some financial coachings. Feel free to email me at selfreliantfi at gmail.com. And if you also know um, anyone else who may need this, uh, feel free to send them my email. And yeah, I'll be more than help, happy to sit down and talk with yourself or any of your buddies there. Yeah. But other than that, Kevin, well, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and if, if for any folks out there that are looking for it, I mean, I, I do think... Basically, how Van is talking on here is essentially how he would be as a, can I call it a coach? Kind of like a coach, right, Van? Is that, yeah. is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yep, um, absolutely. And walking you through that, yep. um, defining, breaking down concepts, um, asking those questions. Um, I think if you're in that boat, definitely give him a, drop him a line, if, if you will. You were saying, Van, uh, aside from that, everything else kind of the same for you as well? Uh, well, I actually did have one major event. Actually, uh, I, don't, I don't think I told you this, Kevin, but I, I actually sold my car. Oh, my gosh. About a week, two ago. No wonder yeah, I didn't so, see it. <laughs> um, my, yeah, my beloved little sports car, I, I ended up selling it. And uh, mainly just because I just wanted to have some extra capital, uh, especially during these times. Absolutely. But, you know, the funny thing is, as soon as I sold the car, I felt like, you know, I had that cash and I was like, dude, like, I, I want to buy another one. So, <laughs> to, in order to stop myself from that, I ended up just investing that in my Roth IRA. So, good for you. now that the money is <laughs> essentially spent, um, I stopped looking. But... What's even more funny is about like uh, about a week after the person had bought it, he, he had called me and said that it, it, yeah, the car actually stranded him. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know, me being me, like I didn't really want to say like, well, legally, I already told him all everything that I know about the car. I was yeah. like 100% transparent with him and I showed him all the receipts I had from the dealership of, you know, what we did with the car and all that stuff. So, he's well aware of it. But still, at the end of the day, I still didn't feel good about just saying, well, you know, it's your problem yeah. now. Uh, you got to deal with it. So, he actually towed the car back to my house and I said, look, you know, let me take a look at it. And I at least took care of like a lot of the, the maintenance things that could have attributed to that and kind of help him like figure out what the problem is and all that since I've been so invested in this car for the last few years. Yeah. 
um, I kind of, I would have had a much better idea of what was happening. But wow. um, I think right now it's all resolved and I actually just dropped it off a few hours ago oh, wow. <laughs> at, at his house. So, you know, it's all, you know, everything is good. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> As in hindsight though, I think if I were to do that again, I would probably just have him write like a, what I've learned was like, you know, there's like these templates online that you could download, yeah. Kevin, that says like, you know, you are no longer, it basically it says like, you know, I am not responsible yeah. for this car after you purchase it off my hand and things like yeah. that. So, that way it makes it even more clear. So, I think uh, in the future, I mean, even though this guy was super cool, he's super nice yeah. and all that too, but I think in the future I would totally have him sign that and then that way like I would kind of brush off any kind of morality <laughs> in a sense, Yeah, you know, that happens to the car. There are things that happens beyond our mind control, yeah. you know. Well, good for you, man. A good deed never goes un, uh, unheeded. So, um, hopefully some good vibes coming your way. Maybe he'll become one of your, uh, one of your self-reliant clients in the future. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. He said he was looking for a house as well. Oh, there you go. Maybe, you so yeah. we'll see. <laughs> you know, you never know. Those situations uh, always has an interesting way of coming back to you. Uh, who knows? Good for you. Yeah, I may end up denying his, uh, not approving his purchase. So, <laughs> <Just like laughs> maybe last, he doesn't want to give me a call. Well, that's really neat because uh, that's actually, you know, a bonus question. Um, I have to say, Van, we, we hadn't gotten too many questions lately, I'm guessing, because of uh, what's going on in the situation. I think people are figuring it out. But... We did want to do a really quick mailbag episode this week just to kind of catch up. We did have a few straggler questions that we had held over from previous months, actually, that have finally cobbled together some questions. So that's what we're going to do today, folks. Really simple, five short questions, really short episode today, and we'll get started. Does that work for you, Vin? So we think. Or right? so we think. I should say, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, so we think, yeah. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about these questions, I feel like they kind of are geared towards a lot of some of the recent discussions. And I do think it is impacted by what's happening with the virus and everything. So I'm going to jump right in because this first question uh, I, I'll take, Van. Uh, first one here is from okay. Josh. He asked a while ago, I apologize, we hadn't put this out there, but he said, how do you budget credit card ex- uh, credit card purchases? And I think this is a, a really good question, Josh, because budgeting for credit card is sometimes difficult because credit cards are inherent, inherently bought on credit. So therefore, you know, you might swipe your card today, but it doesn't take money out of your bank account until you pay off that credit card bill. So for budgets, oh right, it can yeah. get kind of hairy if you're not um, consistent with it. So this is definitely one of the challenges that you have with budgeting. So my advice, uh, and Van, please feel free to jump in, but my advice would be to, you know, if you want to be serious about your budgeting, um, you don't have to go crazy as I do, but if, but I prefer it. You know, you definitely should log your expenses in real time, or at least make a habit to review those credit card purchases when they do. So. One rule of thumb or one way you could do this, if you're at a store, you know, make sure to get the receipt, put the receipt in a place that you know you'll get to sometime during the week that you can log it into your budgeting software or Excel or whatever it is that you're using. Or again, make a habit to go online and check out your credit card. Those transactions get uploaded onto your credit card bill every two two days, etc. So those are ways that you can kind of keep it updated. But what I would recommend if you really, again, if you want to get really serious about it is, of course, invest time in getting or linking your accounts to a software that could automatically import those entries for you so you don't have to do it manually. And 
if you do it that way, you know, you'll get those expenses coming in, even though your bank account may not necessarily reflect it right away, right? Just so hope that makes sense. It's funny because when I kind of misinterpreted the question, so I'm glad you're answering this one yeah. because I, I, I didn't quite understand when he was asking, oh. <laughs> how do you budget credit card purchases? I'm like, well, you put it in your budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. But, I, but I, I understand now that it's more, it's more of a transactional exactly. thing that you're talking about here. Yeah, because it's yeah, definitely more of the transactional side. And again, this was really, you know, I'm assuming Josh, you know, you're maybe you're confused as to like, it's frustrating, you know, how do you figure that? It was very frustrating for me as well, because I didn't know how to necessarily interpret credit card expenses, you know, other than manually putting it in. So usually these softwares, if you do link them up, they ask you to assign, you basically that entry would apply as if it happened today. You know, and basically you would be paying, quote unquote, your credit card bill early in the software. And then once you actually pay off your credit card bill in real life, those transactions would be linked. So the way I always think about it is, let's say I buy something today, right, on my credit card. I would then need to, it would hit my balance, uh, hit my budget in whatever category. Let's say it's, I bought a computer, right? And it would go into my computer bucket, I guess, or category, that money would then be deducted from that category. And then it would be added to the credit card category. And then once you have your credit card bill, you pay it off, you would pay it off from the credit card category with which you had budgeted earlier. So that's how this kind of transaction works. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot easier to see visually. But um, trust me, if you do it that way, you will be able to kind of manage those credit card purchases. The most important thing that you have to think about when it comes to budgeting is when something gets swiped on a card or you pay in cash or whatever, you have, you've got to deduct it from that category that you budgeted. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if you're just paying everything on credit card and you're like, oh, my budget's beautiful. I'm not spending any money. Um, <laughs> and then your credit card bill comes, you know, all, we talk about that a lot, man, uh, with some of these questions that we get, you know, that's where your budget goes a wire. And, you know, maybe you end up not paying off a credit card bill, then you're paying, you know, interest on that credit card bill. So it just snowballs from there. So uh, budget, a really good question, Josh. Right. And or you may see that um, you have more money in your bank. Oh, I, I, I guess I could, right? you know, buy this other thing, exactly. I keep buying something else and all that. But in my case, um, I you sent some. I've actually reopened my Mint account not too long yeah. ago, Kevin. And every time there's a credit card expense, it, it does like fall under like whatever I set my budget for. So it would just fall under one of those categories. So, so regardless of whether or not I paid off that credit card expense mm-hmm. or not, that charge still gets um, show up as um, a ding against yeah. um, you know a deduction of you know of a category of my budget. Perfect. I usually just take a look at what I categorize and what I budget in those categories versus looking at my bank account to determine what I have left. So I don't really use, in my case, I wouldn't even look at your bank account. Just look at what you have set up. All um, If you have software that does exactly. this, look at each of the categories and how much you have left in each category. Yep. No, I, that's great. As long as there's that linking and syncing that's happening, uh, Josh, in your case, I, I don't know what it is that you're using, but as long as that's hitting those categories, like Van said, you'll be in good shape because you just needed to reflect on those categories. Cool. So let's move on. Uh, second question, uh, Van, this is from Kate. She asks, should I make contributions or should I still make contributions to my 401k during this kind of economic crisis? Why or why not? So pretty open-ended. We don't know too much about mm. her background, you know, you know, 
is she did she get a pay cut or, or whatnot? But let's answer, I guess, Van, if you can answer this more of just like in general, if you were to extrapolate, I mean, I guess what are some of the pros and cons of deciding to or not to uh, make con- uh, contributions? Right. So in this case, um, I would really just look at like your fundamentals, right? So if like, for instance, like um, I know like um, in the Dave Ramsey world, you, you're kind of walking through the baby steps, right? So first of all, it's, you know, all your four corners have been catered to. So like your, uh, you know, food, um, your water, your lights and your home, um, I mean, are, are all those catered to. So those are number one, right? So if all any of those are compromised, then for sure, like I would with, forego putting money into the 401k and all that stuff. So that's that's a yep. given. That one, I think, is pretty obvious. But going forward, like, let's say all that's taken care of, but you still have a job and like, but you still have all these debt and all that stuff. Me personally, I I would still recommend that you would pay off all your debts before contributing to your 401k because in many cases, the interest rate from your debts will outpace your 401k earnings anyway. So it doesn't make sense to be putting money into your 401k yet you're, you have a negative deficit with a higher interest rate for something, you know, for some of your consumer debt. Just still like get rid of all that debt and all that stuff. After you have your all your debt and all that stuff, um, you know, at that point, the next thing is, do you have an emergency fund? I, I know people are probably, um, you know, they may, they may have a drinking game on like how many times I say emergency fund yeah. in the episode, <laughs> but I'm always going to keep saying that because um, especially in times like these, like emergency, a lot of reasons why people are hurting right now is because they don't have that cushion to fall back on when, you know, they lose their job and they, they have like barely any savings in their bank account. You never want to be in a position where you're waiting for the government to bail you out, right? So, you always want to be in a position to be able to bail yourself out and kind of prop you up while you're finding other opportunities out there to land another job and all that. I mean, I don't know what her situation right. is, but I would say like you have to kind of walk through those steps, covering those initial four walls, like yeah. finishing all your debts and then having your emergency fund. And then at that point, then you have the opportunity to put money in the 401ks and investment market and all that. And that's mainly because, it, you know, once you get rid of all the other risks, like now you have enough risk to kind of tackle the, the 401k world, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, no, I was going to say, in, in some ways, to your point, it almost feels like it's that hierarchy of, of need, right? With retirement, exactly. while it's very important, we stress very much retirement being important. Um, it needs to kind of fall in Absolutely. line depending on what the need is, right? So... I think a lot of people would kind of criticize that route because they're saying, well, like, you know, what if I'm in like $150,000 in student loan debt or whatever, right? Um, and, you know, should I wait like 10 years right. before I start contributing to my 401k? And in that case, I would say, well, why don't you make that 10 years into like a three-year <laughs> payoff plan or something like that? I am serious, yep. right? Because if you think about... Let's say like, you know, you are a, uh, an attorney or whatever, right? And you have like hundred, you know, $150,000 worth of student loan debt and all that. Um, I mean, when you were a college student, like, you know, your expenses and all that stuff, like your day-to-day expenses were really small and you were able to survive. But like, you know, when now you become a big shot lawyer, like, you know, you increase your lifestyle by, you know, buying the BMW, you know, buying all these other extravagances and all that stuff. But in my opinion, like, you know, why not spend an, another few years living like a student to get rid of yeah. the student loan debt? And then after that, like, dude, just build wealth like, you know, nobody, like, you know, like no bit, no other business. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So, in that case, I still, when you are in a position where you have all this debt and have, you know, all these uh, extremities that um, I guess like are hindering you from doing your 401k, like I would say try to tackle those as fast as you can. Like you, you don't want to be in a position where, you know, you want to, you don't want to be in that uncomfortable position for very long, right? So, that's why you, you, I would rather you peel the band-aid off quickly versus like kind of, you know, doing it slowly yeah. in, in that sense. Yeah, no, that's great. Great uh, additional feedback on there. So, 
Hopefully, Kate, that helps uh, answer that question for you. And Vance, I'm going to switch up questions uh, three and four here because we we're just talking about okay. uh, the uh, baby steps there. So uh, real quick hit here. Um, this is from Ron. He asked, what is a rainy day savings fund and what is the correct amount? Uh-huh. So great question, Ron. I think a good fundamental. Van, do you want to kind of walk us through what a rainy day savings fund is? Um, and again, what is that correct? Right. So uh, again, um, everybody take a shot because <laughs> I'm going to say emergency fund again. Pretty much a rating day savings fund essentially, is essentially your emergency savings yep. fund. And um, I, I, I preach this all the time. Generally, it's good to have between a three to six month emergency fund that really, it's really just tucked away that's not invested really in anything. Like for instance, uh, I don't know if you do the same. I'm pretty sure you do the same, Kevin. But um, I put my emergency fund in like a high yield savings account. I say high yield in quotes right now because it's, it's earning about zero point eight percent because the interest rates are so I can low. Beat that. Um, and from a lending standpoint, zero point six percent. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, maybe well, you know I haven't checked in about a couple of weeks, so maybe it's down to like half a percent <laughs> yeah. now. Who knows? But regardless, you want it to be put in a place where. It's, you know that the value of that, like at least the face value, doesn't drop at yeah. all because you know you don't. The worst thing is you are faced with an emergency where something happens in your family, or you have a layoff, or something like that, and then the market drops fifty percent. Now you have fifty percent of your rainy day right. fund right. <laughs> in in your investment account, right? So you want to you want to put this rainy day fund in something that really you know that it's not you know, it's going to guarantee that it's going to stay at least in that face value for any length yeah. of time. We're not talking about inflation and all that stuff, but again, generally to, to answer your question, three to six months of your expenses is what usually recommended. Now, I myself put, I have like currently, I think I have like a more like a nine month emergency savings, just that keeps me from staying up at night. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I would say, you know, between three and six months, if you're in that mentality, then you're already much better than uh, most of America today who are living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, so. I, I would say, yeah, just shoot for three to six months and you should be fine. Awesome. And and so, basically, the takeaway from that too is it's going to be different for every person because it depends on your situation exactly. and your expenses. So, look at your expenses on a month to month as best as you can and multiply that by anywhere from three to six months and that's your, uh, your quote-unquote correct uh, emergency fund run. All right. Uh, let's jump to – oh, anything else, man, on that? No, I was going to say something like, uh, I mean, and some people may not understand like what the three to six months is because, you know, I know some people say, well, I spend a little bit this month, a little bit that month and all that. And I think in that case, you can just take a look at an average. If you are using um, an aggregator like uh, mint.com or personal capital or something like that, or even looking at your, you know, you can even do a manual process like in Excel. Um, It doesn't really matter, but you can take a look at what you spend like, you know, month to month for the last even six months to give an average there. So, that, that will give you a good sense of what your three to six yeah, months will look absolutely. like as well. Okay. Um, this question. Emergency fund. So, uh, that's yeah, another shot for everybody. Yeah, just trying to get everybody to get drunk while listening to us. <laughs> yeah, this question uh, d- didn't have a name, uh, but it does say, uh, I'm concerned that the stock market might have a correction soon. I've made quite a bit mm. of gains on my stocks, but should I think about realizing some of these gains? And my guess is they're thinking... It may start to drop and I don't want to be on the back end of that. I want to realize what I've gotten and kind of cash out, if you will, Van. Uh, what are your thoughts on this and what are some tax implications? Let's see. This is uh, this is an interesting question. This is a very good question, actually. 
I don't have to say, like, if you want to know whether or not there's a correction soon, I mean, I can tell you, like, there probably will be a correction soon, but the big question mm-hmm. after that is when, right? And n- nobody knows when that's going to happen. And when I say there's a correction soon, like, we don't even know what the right. magnitude of that correction is going to be. It could be just a little blip or it could just be like, you know, something major like what happened in March or it could just be, may not even have a correction. But with the cycle of the way um, stock markets work is like, you know, every few years, you're going to experience some correction here, you know, sooner or later. Every few years, you're going to experience a correction, you know, regardless of whether we like it or not. Whether, you know, if I don't know if he's, uh, if this person is trying to say, is it going to happen like at the end of this year or something really soon? I, you know, right. nobody can answer that. But that is going to always be a sticky situation. But the one thing I can say is it really depends on whether or not you need that money sooner or later, right? So, if you need that money now, for instance, to like put money towards like a big purchase like a car or down payment on a house or whatever, I would say go ahead and pull that money out because you need that money now. But if this is like more like a long-term investment like in your retirement account that it's going to be like decades until you actually realize this money, then just leave it in there and like you just you know even the market does take a dump like, yeah who cares like during that time you're going to be buying more shares at the lower price anyways to dollar cost average right the idea of timing the market i mean it, people think that they're yeah. smart in a sense where they you know they, they, they know like you know, they have an idea of when they could time the market and things like that but i mean in reality like people just kind of react out of emotions and if you look at like uh, big like uh, finance firms they, they have like teams of right. people like trying to time the market right. and things like that right and and in ma- many cases they still underperform like uh, the S&P 500 i mean that tells you that us as individual investors is going to take it's almost impossible. Nobody really knows yeah. what the secret sauce is, let's put it that way, in, in timing the market. I would not suggest timing yeah. the market. It's just I would just only withdraw based on your now, need. Van, what about situations where it, I know in past episodes about uh, capital gains, we talked about tax harvesting. Do you feel like that's something to think about mm-hmm. here? If you do have some stocks, maybe this person has some stocks that they did have some losses on. Um, is that something that they can think about? Mm offsetting it this year so it depends right if it's in your retirement account and you can't really harvest any right. loss um uh, any um losses there right but if you're talking about anything outside of your retirement then yeah you can you can um you can like claim those um harvest those losses but then again like you can only harvest up to three thousand dollars so i don't know how big of um, uh, investment account right. is it, it is so if you lose ten thousand dollars like you still you can only deduct up to 3000 out of that. So, it's still yeah. very limited on what you can you know, like oh, that's um, interesting. harvest. I didn't know about the, the, the limit. I just thought it was uh, you could wash up to whatever. <laughs> I guess not. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they did not. Yeah, 3K is the max. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah. All right. Uh, because if they did that, then I mean, everybody would be super risky in that case, right? They're like, oh, right, yeah, I'm just going to deduct right. it out of my income, whatever. But no, they. I mean, there has to be some checks and balances. There, there you go. Sure. Well, uh, whoever sent that question, thank you for sending that in. Uh, and then our very last question, Van, uh, this was a question from, looks like Jeremy. He says, uh, what's, what is a financial advisor versus a financial planner? So this was, uh, you know, probably a fairly mm. common question about, you know, there are always these different kind of terminologies about financial people, right? So advisor, planner, coaches, etc. Mm-hmm. I guess I just wanted to have an open discussion because this is still kind of sometimes a gray area, right? Because people who might be an advisor might also be a planner. Sometimes they're, they're also a coach, you know? So what are your thoughts on this, Van? And I know I can share some of my thoughts as well. 
You know, it's funny because before um, we were recording this, I, I, I actually told Kevin, like, I was like, hey, I, I actually don't even understand the difference yeah. <laughs> to me. Because to me, like, I always assumed that they were just one and the same as well. But it sounded like the financial advisor is really somebody who manages yeah. your money, like right. your investments and, and things like, you know, in your Roth IRA and things like that. Whereas a financial planner would actually go out and set up, go, uh, figure out how to, uh, for you to achieve those goals and all that. But generally, these these two roles yeah. can be the same person. They could, you know, they could provide the planning and provide the management and sell you like all these yeah. products and things like that. So, so there are some fundamental differences, but then, like you said, it, it's just, it does get confusing because like it could yeah. be the same person. Now, Kevin, do, do you recall if um, a financial advisor or financial planner had to be certified under the the CFP certification? The was it a certified financial? Yeah, planning? it sounded like uh, to be a you know a financial planner in the way that most people talk about it, you do have to be a certified uh, C, you know CFP. Mm, okay, but it sounds like a planner doesn't necessarily need to uh, get their series sixty five. It seems like to be able to actually manage money. I see. Which it, what an advisor would need to be able right. to do. So, um, so, but to right. your point, you know, confusing. I, I feel like if you're an advisor, probably it is in your best interest to also be a, a planner, right? To help kind of one-stop shop. You know, you don't want to go to an advisor for one thing and then your planner tells you they kind of work hand in hand. Uh, <laughs> but I've, I feel like these are very, this might be actually very different than what a coach would be doing, right? So, you know, kind of talking about your own your own be, experience yeah. now that you're you're kind of in that coaching space i would imagine you're not necessarily telling anybody how what to buy right you're just you're really looking at it and no kind of giving advice and saying here's a good plan for you right I, i'm actually yeah i'm not allowed to tell people that hey you should invest in this exactly. or that. <laughs> that that is i would get i would get very much sued <laughs> if i were to say that you mentioned something interesting earlier is that you know it's good to have a financial advisor and a planner to be the same person and i actually think in my opinion, I think that, you know, there could be some disadvantages mm, to that, Kevin, because it's kind of like, like there could be some conflict ah, of interest yeah, there, right? Because point. as a planner, you can't, I mean, even if you were fiduciary, which means that um, you, you're you supposed to have your client's interests at heart, fundamentally as a human being, right? If, if let's say there's the two Roth IRA products that you, uh, that, you know, one you have more like, you know, commission towards the other one, you, and even though they may produce like the same... Uh, returns and things like that. I mean, as a human being, if, especially running a business, like you may like, I mean, I know you're probably not supposed to do this, but you may push them towards the product that gets you more of a yep. commission and things Very like good that. Point. I still think it's kind of, there could be some uh, yeah. conflict of interest there. So I, I would say if, if it's, it's actually not a bad idea to have these two people separate. So that way there's some checks and balances there because your financial planner would say like, Hey, what, why is your financial advisor, uh, you know, telling you to invest yeah. in this? You know, because there are, as you can imagine, like there's a bunch of financial advisors out there that have different degrees yeah, of quality. Absolutely. <laughs> per se. That's what I'm saying. It's good to have the checks and balance. Vice versa can can happen to like the financial advisor can go like, what the heck is the financial planner doing? You know, and <laughs> it's just, again, it's just like, it gives you another way of kind of making sure that you're not putting all your eggs in one yeah. basket. Let's put it that way. Because I, I've heard like many stories in the past where people like the financial advisor would put, would really be pushing like the clients to do like an annuity or some sort of like BS, like whole life insurance policy and all that. And I'm just like, gosh, like you're only like a, like a 21 year old <laughs> right out of college. Like you don't need, you don't need, why would you need right. a life insurance policy? You know, <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. make any sense. 
I would say like, uh, so that's, I think that's, I have to say like, you know, that's kind of where the coach is a little bit different because the way I see it is like, you know, for somebody like me, like I, I'm never going to ever push any products on my clients because I really don't have anything to sell. The only thing I can really do is just educate. They have questions about, hey, hey, I want to invest in a Roth IRA. Am I ready to do that yet? So I can at least look at where their financial situation is right now. And kind of like, like I said, like walking through the baby step to see where they're at. Are they ready to take that step uh, to start investing yet? And, um, you know, once they start investing, like I could at least educate them. Okay. So here's what a mutual fund is. Here's what an index fund is. And here's all, you know, um, here's the pros and cons of each and things like that. Right. So I would just really provide the guidance, but not really the advisement that of, you know, what they should do. I just can just give them pros and cons. And at the ultimately, the client is there to choose what they want to do. Whereas I've had like other run-ins with financial advisors in the past. The one I had prior um, was a very good one. And I you know, I don't think she's a bad apple by any means. I think she was a very good apple. But um, some of the ones apple. I've spoken to in the past, like you did get, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. The one I had before that really, he, he had talked me into doing a whole life pol- uh, yeah, life insurance yeah. policy. And it's just like, there's so many people like that at like, you know, my yeah. the first guy <laughs> that I spoke to. In that case, like, I think somebody like a coach or a financial planner would really help uh, steer them away from getting into like sticky, st- uh, sticky yep. situation like that. But keep in mind though, like a financial planner and advisor, since, you know, if they have the CFP or some sort of certification like that, you're going to be spending quite a bit of money. Like you're probably going to be spending at least, I know financial advisors generally take about 1% of your portfolio of your assets that they manage per year. Whereas a financial planner, I mean, they could take a percentage, um, but they can also charge you by the hour, you know, maybe three to $400 an hour. I think for most people, (laughs) that is like way out of reach for a lot of people, right? So, I think that's where the financial coach comes into mind where I'm looking to really help out people who are either just starting or who have dug themselves into a really big hole. And these are the type of people where are generally the financial advisors and financial planners don't really want to touch because they know they're not going to make that much money from them. So, I think that's kind of where those three roles really differ because, you know, from my point of view, I I just really want to help out people from getting you know instead of doing paycheck to paycheck i want you to guide you know to guide them to how to build their emergency fund and right. all that stuff and and basically kind of here are the steps to take to better to reach that goal whatever that goal might be sounds like kind of what a coach would be able to do so great question jeremy um and very timely i think in in um, if you are looking at that definitely consider what van just times kind of talked about that there are competing interests that might be different so Great. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, Van. You guys have any other questions? You know, we, we definitely are running a little lighter on questions uh, lately. So definitely, if there are something, you know, some burning questions on your mind, please send them along to a wordaboutwealth at gmail.com. And of course, Van has talked about, you know, we're going to be kind of just mentioning here that, you know, Van has this kind of new side business that he's running that, you know, we definitely think that could be helpful for folks that are listening to the podcast. Uh, Van, where can they find you uh, about that? If you just want to send any questions or want to do like a completely complimentary consultation, uh, feel free to email me at selfreliantfi at gmail.com. Uh, put it in the show notes so that way you can just copy and paste that as well. But you know, Kevin, like I, you know, like the guy who I sold the car to, I generally like to help yep. people in general, which is kind of like a, I, I think it's kind of a fault on my end because I don't like leaving loose ends in general. You know, if you just have any quick questions and things like that, like, feel free to shoot them over my way. I'm, I'm more than happy to answer those questions as well. But again, it's uh, selfreliantfi at gmail.com. Perfect. We'll see you guys next time. All right. Take care, stay safe and uh, be healthy. Bye.